Well, after last Sunday's invitation from the teacher of Ecclesiastes, if you were here last Sunday, you heard that invitation to, to do more calm receiving instead of anxious striving. Remember the posture, anxious striving, reaching, and calm receiving of grace from God? After that, I thought a lot this past week about, about God's gift of rest to us. Especially knowing that we're going to be celebrating baptism here this morning. Rest is what so many parents of young children are longing for, aren't they? I mean, I, I'm an empty nester now, so I go home to a quiet house and it's peaceful, but I know many of you don't have that. And especially after a week of no school, you would love to have a little bit of rest at home, wouldn't you? There's so much that keeps us in life from resting. Right? We worry about how our children will turn out and do all we can to ensure the best result possible. And we strive to provide all the needs of our family. And then we, we also want to provide for them the wants that they have so we can enjoy some, some good things. And, and we ride this roller coaster of, of maturing with our children or maybe lack of maturing with our children. And that, that roller coaster can be fast and steep and I'm so grateful in the midst of whatever keeps you running in life that God invites us to rest. I'm grateful for you young parents out there that in baptism that we just saw, God invites you to rest, right? Because through that, that sacrament water of baptism, through his spirit, God invites us as parents to receive rest from him. To receive grace from him for ourselves and our children. Right? We receive the assurance that our children's future doesn't depend primarily on us. We receive his promise of unconditional love for us and for our children that will never waver. He loves us no matter what. We receive the assurance that the Holy Spirit will work in our children's hearts to convince and convict them of his presence and love. Baptism puts us in this posture, right? This receiving posture as we receive God's goodness for ourselves and for our children. So we can exhale. Whew. As we do our best as parents, we still do the hard work, right? But we rest in God's promises, in God's grace. And that promise, that rest, is not unique to parents of young children. It isn't limited to the sacrament of baptism. It's a gift that God gives to all of his children. Throughout scripture, if you ever read scripture from, from front to back or, or know the major themes of scripture, you will see that rest is one of those themes that you can trace all throughout the Bible. Right? God promises rest for his people. For his chosen ones who love him. And that promise is most boldly stated by Jesus himself in Matthew 11. In fact, turn with me if you would. Matthew 11, starting at verse 25. It's page 792 in the Bibles you have in front of you. 792. We heard this, this passage read to us last Sunday. But I want you to hear it again. It's a beautiful, tender prayer. That be, from Jesus, that becomes an invitation. Listen to what he says, starting at verse 25. Jesus said, 
I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest. I'm sure you're thinking, you could think about your past week, whether it's being snowed in with your kids for a week, whether it's at work, whether it's family, places where, where you could just use a little bit of rest, where you could use a break. But honestly, I don't think Jesus had busyness in mind. I don't think he had a snow week in mind when he promised us rest. Because he had a very different kind of rest in mind here. When we hear the word rest, our default definition is that, that ease or inactivity after some kind of exertion or labor. There's a definition from Webster that we listen to, right? Ease and inactivity after exertion or labor. It's the February week in Florida kind of rest. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to answer to, no snow to shovel. It's a wonderful kind of rest. It's a retirement kind of rest, right? After a lifetime of punching the clock for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, we can't wait just to do nothing with no responsibilities. It's the kind of rest that if we aren't careful, we'll grow up into one of the seven deadly sins. We'll become sloth. When Jesus promised us rest, I know he wasn't intending us to become lazy. I know he wasn't promising us a lifetime somewhere on a beach somewhere. I know he wasn't promising that someday, if you live long enough, you'll get to require, retire from all responsibilities and all purpose in life and just sit there and do nothing. No, Jesus is working with a different definition of rest. And for us to get this right, we need to go back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, at, at the very start of creation. Because that's where we first find God talking about rest from the very beginning of his story. And it's God himself who is doing the resting back in Genesis. If you read that story back in Genesis chapter 2, God is done with the work of creation. And verse 2 of chapter 2 tells us that by the seventh day, God had finished his work. And on that seventh day, he rested from all work. God rested. That would mean, using our definition of rest, 
that God must have been really, really tired from all the work that he had done, from this exertion and labor of creating, and, and he needed some time to recharge and refresh because he was just exhausted. I don't think that's the case because God doesn't get tired. Unlike us, God doesn't need a weekend to recover from the rest of the week and prepare for the next. God rested not because he was weary. God rested because his creative work was completed and everything was done just right. It was absolutely perfect. It was just the way it was supposed to be. He rested because there was nothing left to do. That's a whole different understanding of rest. God's definition of rest is more along the lines of relief or freedom from anything that worries, troubles, or disturbs. Relief and freedom. Rest is not inactivity. Rest is experiencing a life that is whole and complete and right a life that's just the way God intended and created it to be. Right? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Notice that we're told that, that before the fall, while they're in the garden, they did work. So rest for them was not sitting on some beach in Eden somewhere doing nothing. It's not our kind of rest that we think of. Rather, Everything at that moment was exactly the way it was supposed to be. And they lived in freedom from troubles and sorrows. They worked in freedom from troubles and sorrows. And when they sinned, that's what they lost. They lost that freedom. Because suddenly they were burdened with the shame of their nakedness. And suddenly they're burdened with the guilt of their disobedience. And suddenly they're burdened with the worry over their future. And suddenly they're burdened with fear in their broken relationship with God. Suddenly there is no rest for them. We can, we can see that lived out clearly in Genesis chapter 4. In the story of Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. Remember Cain and Abel... Those two brothers don't get along well. And Cain, in a jealous rage, kills his brother Abel, the very first murder. And remember the result of that? Remember the punishment? God sends him away, and here's God's words, as a restless wanderer on the earth. Restless wanderer. His punishment was to lose the rest that God designed for his people. He could not find relief from his troubles. He could not be free from the weariness of trying but failing. He could not be released from the, the weariness of always falling short of what he was meant to be, of feeling that, that distance between him and God constantly. He was restless all of his life. That was his curse. And that is our curse. The human race has been restless ever since sin contaminated every ounce of this creation. You and I feel that same weariness, that same failure, that same distance 
that same striving and longing and never reaching that Cain felt. And God's great salvation plan from the very beginning of time was to give his people rest. To restore us to the wholeness and peace and fullness that he created us to experience. That has been his promise to his people again and again throughout this covenant journey with them. He promises them rest. Maybe not ease, but he promises them wholeness and healing. So in Exodus, as you read through the story, in Exodus, when God's people are in the desert, between Egypt, where they were slaves, and the promised land, where they're going to experience freedom, what does God promise them? His words are, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses reestablishes that very promise when they're on the edge of going into the promised land. He's handing over leadership to Joshua, and he says, you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest. Not promising a vacation. He's not promising a lifelong retirement. He's promising them a completion to their journey and a wholeness in a restored relationship with him. He gives that promise to David. He promises David rest. He promises Solomon rest. And none of these promises came true. None of them were fulfilled completely. The rest never came for them. It never came for fully for the people of Israel, for David, for Solomon. They could not be free of their troubles and weariness in life because they failed to keep their end of the covenant bargain. And this, this chasm between their imperfection and God's holy perfection could not be crossed. There was always more for them to do, wasn't there? There were always more animals to be sacrificed. There was always more payment to be made. There was always more goodness to be accomplished and always more brokenness to be fixed. For centuries after century after century, the people of Israel were searching for rest. But they couldn't get right with God. And then came Jesus. God's own son who invites us to finally fully experience true rest, peace, contentment, wholeness in life. He promises us relief and freedom from what troubles us. He promises us to bring us back to, to the way that we were supposed to be. He promises that we can rest, fully rest in God's presence just like back in the garden. How in the world are we supposed to be able to do that? How can we experience that kind of freedom and rest when David, a man after God's own heart, couldn't do it? When Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, couldn't do it? When the whole nation of Israel couldn't do it? Can you and I today truly find rest for our souls? Because honestly, isn't that what you're looking for? Isn't that what I'm looking for? As much as we enjoy 
and need a week at the beach or a, some break from our responsibilities, we know that whatever that vacation time might be, it's just temporary relief. You're coming right back to what brings you weariness. What you and I truly need and desire is a freedom from the things that trouble us. What you and I truly desire is healing from the brokenness of this world and of our lives. What we truly desire is an assurance, a true assurance that all is okay and all will be all right. What we really need is grace. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need to receive in our lives. That's what Ephesians 2 makes crystal clear to us. I want you to just listen to these words, this, this gospel transformation story from Ephesians 2. And, and listen to the dramatic transformation that happens to you and to me in these verses and what it is that transforms us. Here's what Paul writes. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, where we were. There's our striving. There's our longing for some kind of rest, right? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's what you and I need. We need the transforming power of the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what makes Jesus' invitation to rest so much different than that Old Testament invitation to rest. Because it's God's grace through Jesus Christ that now moves us from being dead in our transgressions and sins to being made alive in Christ Jesus. It isn't our striving. It isn't our doing. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace through faith, a gift from God to be received. A gift. It's a gift that God gives through Jesus Christ. And grace is what sets us free. Grace is what takes away the guilt that weighs us down. Grace is what removes the burdens that make us so weary. 
Grace is what will finally let you rest. And the only way to receive that grace is through faith. Right? Theologian John Stott says that faith's only function is to receive what grace offers. You know what that means? That means we don't have to do anything except accept what Jesus has already done. Ponder this for a moment. Grace means that there is nothing you need to do because Jesus has done it. It doesn't depend on you being good enough or strong enough or holy enough. It all depends on Jesus, not on you. Grace means that there's nothing you have to do. All the requirements have been fulfilled by Jesus already on the cross. Redemption is complete. The job is done. There's nothing more that you have to do because the price has been paid in full. Grace means that there is nothing you have to do. You can rest. It's not about you doing You can stop striving. You can stop worrying. You can lay that burden down. And instead of striving, you can rest in what Jesus has already done. That's why Jesus can say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will take away your guilt. I will forgive your sin. I will set you free from the burdens that you're carrying. I will make you right with God in this life and the next. I will, Jesus says, I will. You know, years ago, a pastor friend of mine was telling me the story of his elderly uncle who, who was on his deathbed following cancer. He had been a faithful, humble man of God all of his life, a farmer out in Iowa, an elder in his church, a good husband, a good father, a good grandfather. And now on his deathbed, in those final moments, he found no rest. His heart and his soul were terrified as he faced death. And he couldn't stop wondering if God would accept him. If, if he had been good enough, if he had done enough in this life, his soul was still restless because he believed there was something he had to do. And many of us here this morning are restless in life because we still believe there's something we have to do to earn our way into God's favor. And that belief will always leave you restless, will always leave you troubled, will always leave you tired and burdened. Because if we have to be good enough, how good do we need to be? If we have to be holy enough, how holy do we need to be? If we have to be generous enough, how generous do we need to be? If we have to be theologically smart enough, how theologically smart do we need to be? I can answer all those questions for you. The answer to all of them is more than you are. You need to be holier, better, smarter than what you are. Because whatever you do, whatever I do, it's not good enough. It's not enough. 
And if you choose to get right with God on your own, get ready for a lifetime of restlessness. Get ready for an eternity of restlessness, of weariness, of burden and worry. Let me ask one question this morning, and maybe the most profound question that you need to answer. Are you confident of your adoption as a child of God? Do you know that he accepts you? It's a question about grace. Do you really believe that God's grace is enough for you? Do you trust God to make good on his promises? His promises we saw in baptism here this morning. Do you have confidence that Jesus bled and died and rose again specifically for you? To pay the price for your sin and has set you free. Do you know that Jesus loves you that much and do you accept that love? Come to me all who are weary and burdened. And I will, not I might, I will give you rest. That gift of grace and rest is yours to receive. When you receive his grace, you can rest. You can find relief and freedom from the weariness of your soul. Oh, there's still plenty of life to live yet. But you can rest assured through it that all is right with God. That you are his because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because of grace. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you invite us to come and rest in you. I would guess most of us have heard that invitation before. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We hear that invitation, and then we go out, and we strive, and we work, and we worry, and we're filled with anxiety as we try to make it through this life on our own, as we try and make it into eternity on our own, as we try to be good enough, and strong enough, and smart enough, and holy enough for you, God. And we're reminded every day, every moment that we aren't good enough and smart enough and holy enough. And so I ask that you'd help us, maybe for the first time, to truly receive that invitation that you give. That we will come to you weary and burdened. And with arms open wide, we would receive your gift of grace. And we would finally find rest for our souls. Thank you that we can be confident. That we can have no doubts about our adoption as your children and about your love for us. Thank you for the rest that that brings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.